Ben. He's doing our sermon today. I, he asked me to read the scripture verse today. Um, I think because one of the Hebrew letters requires some guttural sounds. So, um, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalad. Hey, Vav, and now we're in Zayin. Chet and Te. So this would be Psalm 119, verses 49. If you'd open your Bible, we read all the way to verse 72. This is an acrostic poem, and the letter Zayin sounds like a Z, so everything that this, every verse starts with that sound. This first word, Liz Kor, is to remember, and this is part of the offering word in Hebrew. Verse 49, remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. The proud have me in great derision, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I remembered your judgments of old, O Lord, and I have comforted myself. Indignation has taken a hold of me because the wicked who forsake your law. The statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage, and I remember your name in the night, O Lord. I keep your law. This has become mine because I kept your precepts. Verse 57 starts, hate. You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I thought about my ways, and I turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste. I did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. And I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. Verse 65, Tate. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted when I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good, and you do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as slippery as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted so that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver. Thank you, Alicia. Hi, well, welcome. Uh, so glad to have you guys here with us this morning. Those of you joining us online, welcome. If you're new to the Rock Church, we're really glad to have you here. We hope you, uh, you, you, you find a, a welcoming environment and one that, that proclaims the truth of, of God. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, we, we would sure welcome you here. We'd love to have you join our body. And if, if this is not the right fit for you, we are blessed in this area to have a lot of uh, God-loving uh, churches in this area. We would encourage you to keep pursuing that. Um, but I tell you what... Very few things proclaim to my heart the creative beauty and genius of God than music. And, and to listen to these girls sing this morning just, just really 
touches my heart. And, and it's, it's because that illustrates that God has this perfect design and structure. Because if I came up here and sang, you would not be as emotionally touched. You might be a little angered, like, like Dan was talking about earlier. There, there's different sounds that God orchestrates to say, this is beautiful and this is not. And that's by his design. And so um, Lexi and, and Alicia and, and uh, you instrumentalists, thank you so much for blessing us with that. I also want to real quick, um, this has been a rough couple weeks for, for our church body, uh, but I really want to extend a thank you to everybody who is um, offering of themselves their time, their abilities, their resources to help us kind of fill some gaps and, and touch the lives of people who are particularly hurting our body. So I want to thank you for um, just showing that you are the hands and feet of, of Christ. We, we appreciate that, and I know a lot of people in here appreciate that. Okay, well, it was certainly no mystery that uh, Alicia would pronounce the Hebrew words better than I would. Um, so Alicia, thank you for, for doing that. I'll give it a shot at some point in here. Um, we are, uh, by the way, my name is Ben Keller. Uh, I'm one of the elder board members here. I am not a pastor here, for those of you who are, are relatively new here. I'm not, a, not one of the pastors here, um, but I, it, it's certainly my privilege to be able to uh, fill in this morning and, and share God's word with you. So thank you for allowing me that opportunity. Uh, we're continuing with our summer series in the book of uh, Psalm, and we are in chapter 119, and, and it is a, it's a long uh, chapter, and it's, it's uh, broken into stanzas, and we're, we're taking a couple stanzas at a time as we go through this. Uh, Pastor Tri started this several weeks ago, um, and, and last week, Pastor Mike taught on, on a couple of these, and I'll pick up a few today. But if, if you've been tuned in, if you've been uh, reading along with us as we go through this, you, you'll notice there's a lot of repetition. There's a lot of repetition in Psalm 119. And, and you might even get to the point, if you're just glancing through it quickly, to say to yourself, okay, I think I got it, right? I mean, it just keeps saying, I delight, in, I delight in God's precepts, I trust in it, he's good, I, okay, I get it. And it just keeps kind of having that theme over and over. Um, but if you, if you kind of have that mindset that, okay, it's, it's going to just keep saying the same thing over and over, you're going to kind of miss the subtleties to it. You're going to miss the kind of evolution or progression that the author lives through as he's writing these psalms to us. So yes, there is a lot of repetition from one stanza to the next, but that's by design. That is not by, that's not because you didn't think of anything new to say, right? It's because we need to keep returning to that repetition in our lives. And as he goes through these stanzas, he's going through different phases in his, in his life, different afflictions, different, different journey points, different struggles, but he always stays to that anchor. Uh, real quick review on, on what we've covered so far. Pastor Tri started this um, with uh, Aleph, would be the, the first stanza. And that, was, that kind of presented the question. That's the whole point of this. It, it, it kind of said, okay, well, what are we doing here? What, is the, what are we about to teach you? We're about to teach you what the question presented in Aleph is. And then the second stanza is bait. Alicia, I hope I'm doing that, that right. Um, so bait would, would kind of tell us, okay, this is, this is what the theme is going to be. All right, The theme is going to be Stay true to God's word. Stay true to what God teaches you. Stay true to what, what he presents to us in his word. And then 
And then after those first two stanzas, each stanza after that is basically each its own independent prayer. Each is kind of its own independent petition to God. And they're, they're individual, but they follow the same theme. Now, the first several of them were all pretty positive. They just, they just kind of went through this progression of saying, okay, God, teach me your ways. Fill me with your word. Fill me with your, your, your design for me to live. And it said it in different ways, but they're basically, fill me with your word, right? Fill me with your, teach me how it is you want me to live. And then last week, there was a little bit of a hinge. So Pastor Mike taught us last week, and he did he and vav, okay? And he was pretty much kind of how the first several have been, just kind of a positive tone of teach me your word, God. And then in vav, things started to change a little bit. And specifically, it was subtle, but specifically he used the words, Lord, give me an, an answer to those who taunt me. Right? So all of a sudden, that's the first introduction we have in this whole Psalm 119 to some signs of affliction, right? People taunting us. Okay, so try use the illustration when we started this of the anchor, that God's word is an anchor to us. And so for the first several chapters or, or, or stanzas in this chapter, it's building that anchor, establishing that anchor, setting that anchor. And then last week, we finally get to our first little storm. An anchor doesn't do you much good if the water's not moving. You don't need an anchor. But now the waters are starting to move on this author. So the theme started to change a little bit there as, as now we have people taunting this author. Now all of a sudden, there is some hardship. There's some affliction. Now the tools that God has been giving him in the first several stanzas are, are coming into practice. That, that cranks up a notch this week, the affliction, the, the, the stormy waters. That cranks up a notch this week. So we're going to start to dig into that a little bit more. Now, I do want to note, and, and again, the, the previous speakers on this have, have talked about this a little bit, but just keep in mind that this is very poetic, and this is, this is a poem, right? And so you've got these different stanzas, and oftentimes in poetry, uh, you'll see a lot of repetition, not just in words or themes, but in design. So you see the very first verse of each stanza is going to be kind of an introductory uh, sentence to, okay, here's the petition of this stanza. This is what I'm asking for. This is my focus of this stanza. And then usually somewhere around the fifth verse, most of them it is the fifth verse. A few of them it's maybe the sixth verse or somewhere else. Most of them the fifth verse, that's where he introduces the outside affliction. Okay, And the verses in between will then illustrate uh, more detail of those two points. Okay? So <clears throat> we're going we're gonna to move into uh, the next few here. But, but what I want us to do is to, to realize that we have been developing this anchor, this foundation on God's Word. And now we're going to see how the author puts that into principle. I want us to be kind of honed in on that same idea in our lives as we go through this. Be thinking to yourself, man, I'm experiencing that, and I know what that feeling's like. What did he do? What should I do? What does God want us to do? You're on your own with the clicker, Tanya, and I don't even 
have one here handy, so just try to keep up. All right. All right. What we know, what we know is that we don't know who the author of this, of this book is, but what we know is that it's good for us, right? We also know that it was written a long time ago. So over and over throughout this whole book, throughout this whole chapter, I'm sorry, you'll see, you'll see the author make reference to God's word, and he uses different words. He uses word, commandments, statutes, rules, testimonies, precepts, law, all these different uh, words to describe the point of it, the object of his affection in this. Now, at the time when the author wrote this, what all those things meant, the law under the Torah. So the, the, the Torah would have been the written law at that time. That would be the first five books of, of your Old Testament. Um, that would be what this is in reference to. Now, we, we also know that Jesus, Jesus gives us this little nugget that says, hey, uh, all of uh, all the commandments kind of get consumed into this. Love God, love your neighbor, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And under these, this is, this is, this is what all the commandments mean, right? This consumes all of the commandments. Jesus taught that. And, and so when we see a reference to God's word, God's precepts, and we know it was specifically talking about the Torah or the old law at that time, Jesus later on says, yeah, that's what we we're talking about, but, but here's how it applies to you now. It's not just that. It's, it's, it's what I've come to fulfill. It's, it's this loving relationship. We also know that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for our teaching, our correction, our, our, our learning, our inspiration. So that's to say that the author of Psalm 119 had one specific audience in mind when he was writing that, and it wasn't necessarily you and me, but God had in mind you and me. So there's a direct application for this Psalm 119 that might have been different for the, for the audience of the time, but it directly applies to us. All right, let's, let's just jump in here. If you don't have a Bible, grab one, all right? I want you to have one as we go through. I'm not going to have the words up here. So there's one under the seat in front of you. If you've got your Bible on your phone, go ahead and turn that on. If you need a Bible, there's plenty in the back. Grab a Bible. But here, I want you to open up to Psalm 119, and we're going to just walk our way through this. All right, here we go. Verse 49, Zayin. Now, from what I understand, that word, and, and Alicia will probably tell us, tell me I'm wrong, uh, but... But that word is, what you'll notice is these words, you see that word Zayin up there, they're, they're kind of a picture of something. So when you say, well, what does this mean? The, the, it's a symbol of whatever it's a picture of. And in this case, it was a picture of kind of a sword or a weapon. So it has some reference to that, some symbolic meaning to that. It doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what it means in our context, but uh, I, I think there may be some practical design here as we're starting to see more conflict um, as we go through this. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. So right there, this author's hope is in God's word, the promises God gives. That's where he finds his hope. Why? Because this is my comfort and my affliction that your promise gives me life. If, if you don't have that that anticipation that what God is showing you 
is what can give you life, is what can give you hope, then you don't have it yet established as an anchor. So that's an introductory sentence that is our root as we go through this. Let, let God's word be your hope. Let God's word be that which can comfort you when you need it. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. Some of you have proud or arrogant. They mock me or deride me. So again, here we're seeing that this person is experiencing conflict from the people around him. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. When I think of your rules of, from of old. So why does he say from of old there? Because it's important to remember that God's word to us is enduring of time, right? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't change. His promises last forever. So, so what was promised in the days of old to this guy are really the days of old to us, right? But it holds true. It doesn't change. So we can take comfort that the promises that this author relied upon thousands of years ago, thousands of years later, are the same promises we can rely upon to give us hope. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked. I'm at verse 53 there. Um, I, you guys, if you, I, so I'm in an ESV, by the way. I'm reading out of ESV. If you have an NIV, you've got a little different terminology there. But I really like that hot indignation seizes me. That's, I think, really descriptive of how this author is feeling when he sees people around him because of the wicked who forsake your law. So it's these wicked people who do not subscribe to the law of God, to the promise of God, to the ways of God, that man, they just make this guy mad, right? He gets angry, that, that hot indignation, that's anger. I mean, that's, that's real anger. It seizes me because of them. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. To sojourn would mean to, to journey, right? So the house of my sojourning would be a temporary place to stay. So again, he's looking for comfort in this, right? Sometimes when we're, when we're sojourning, when we're traveling, when we're not somewhere where we're permanent, there's an uneasiness, and it's God's law, it's God's word, it's God's promises that sustains him, that brings him that joy and song. During his journey, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. Anybody ever find that they struggle more at night with 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 staying focused on on where God wants them to? Like maybe if you're hanging out here at church, or, or you're in a, in a gathering with other people, you're doing pretty good, right? You're, you're fine as long as you're around other people. And then you go home at night, and you're alone, and you got the four walls around you. Struggles start to set in a little bit more then. Sometimes if you struggle with temptation, that's when it starts to attack you, when you're alone, when it's late at night, when it's dark. And it's easier to fall into it then. And this author says, I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. When things, when we feel alone, when we feel like we're vulnerable, God is there. Turn our attention to God in those times to help maintain our focus. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. It's not always easy to keep God's precepts. It's not always easy to follow the instruction God has for our lives, but there's blessing in it. And we're gonna cover that a little bit later, what that means and, and how that impacts us. There is blessing in doing it God's way, right? All right, we're gonna move on now to hate, Verse 57, 
The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. The Lord is my portion. So when we see this reference to my portion, we're talking here about um, kind of your ration to live. When you would receive your portion, this is, this is what you get to sustain you, okay? And this author says, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is what I need to be sustained, right? When, when Jesus' disciples said to him, Jesus, man, you look, you look a little pale. I, I think you need a sandwich, right? He, he says, what, 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 my bread is what? To do the will of my Father, right? That's what sustained Christ was to do the will of... Now, did he need food? He needed food, right? Uh, the physical human of him needed food. We need food. But what this author is saying, my body might need sustenance, right? My body might need a sandwich. But what I need... What sustains me, what gives me life, is the Lord. I entreat your favor with all my heart. So that would mean to, to ask for something anxiously, to really pursue something with an, a zeal and excitement. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, verse 59 here, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. So think about that for a minute. What's he saying there? When I think on my ways, he doesn't stop there. Because when I think on my ways, that'll probably get me into trouble. When I think on my ways, that okay, this makes sense to me. This is logical to me. I think I want this. I think this will satisfy me. That's me thinking on my ways. Good idea or bad idea? Bad idea, right? Bad idea. So this author says, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet testimonies. My ways are here. Your ways are here. I need to go from here to here, right? So again, what we're talking about here is this author is starting to go through some stormy waters, right? Stormy waters where he needs the anchor. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. That requires of us to acknowledge for ourselves that my ways are not always right. In fact, my ways are pretty much never right unless my ways are rooted in what God wants of me. So we've got to evaluate that. Instinctually, instinctually, we will all react to hardship. When something happens to you, if someone comes up and, and, and yells in your face, or if if you get in a car wreck or if, if uh, you see your child in danger, we all have an instinct that takes over, just, just a reactive instinct, right? Now, sometimes that is the same also when we're going through troubled times, that our initial instinct tells us to do one thing. And we live in a world that tells us, man, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Wherever your heart leads you, right? That's my ways, and that is very deceiving oftentimes. My instincts or my heart, I am untrustworthy. Okay, there's a, there's a sin nature to me that directs my path oftentimes and how I would want to go. I've got to be able to stop myself in that path and say, okay, God, where do you want me? Where do you want my path to go? 
Because this feels right to me. This feels like there's some satisfaction in that. There feels like there's relief in this. But that is oftentimes the tool of the devil to make us feel good about something. I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. I'm not just, I'm not just resting in your word, God, but I'm actively pursuing it. I'm going after it. I hasten to it. I, I, I want to go to your word, not just wait for your word to come to me. Right? There's got to be an active pursuit of what God wants for you in your life. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. I'm in verse 61 there. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me. You might have, they bind me, right? Now, if you're ensnared or bound by something, has it got you? Yeah, it, it, it got you, right? You didn't evade that trap, right? If you're going to ensnare an animal, if you're going to trap an animal, if, if you have, in fact, ensnared it and trapped it, you've got it. It's right there. If it evaded it, if it kind of slipped away and got away from it, you did not ensnare it, all right? This author is saying, though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, though sometimes, God, I get trapped, though sometimes I give in, Though sometimes the wicked, they draw me into them, and I get, I get ensnared by whatever they're trying to get me to do, and that happens to me, God. This author is letting us know here that, I mean, because if, if we read all these previous stanzas, it's, I delight in your word, I, I never forget your law, I'm, I'm always trusting you, God, and that might paint the picture of us of someone who is not going through the same trials I'm going through because, because that's not me. I, I do fail. I do take my eyes off Christ. I do slip up. I do fail. I do get ensnared. And this author here is telling us, him too. Him too. Sometimes he, sometimes he gives in. Sometimes the enemy does ensnare him. But there's hope. Like he started this. There is hope. I do not forget your law. Even when I fail, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. So again, even in the darkness, even when I'm lonely, even when I feel ensnared, I can turn my attention to you, and I know you're there. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your priesthood. So that's a little bit of a contrast right there, right? That's verse 63. That's a little bit of a contrast to where we just were. So he's just saying, look, the wicked, they ensnare me sometimes. Sometimes I get wrapped up in the wrong crowd. Sometimes I spend my time with people I ought not, right? Well, what's the correction here? How does he get back on the right path? I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. I'm a companion of the people who subscribe to the things I've been writing about here, people who follow God's path. If I'm a companion to them, then that's where I find your steadfast love. That's how he ends this stanza. There's some practical application there for us. When we are struggling, when we feel like we're ensnared, when we feel like we're entrapped, you don't, you don't ride it out alone. You find companionship with those like-minded. You find companionship. You surround yourself with people who pursue God and God's ways in their lives. And there's hope in that. There's hope in that. Who you surround yourself with matters, right? I oftentimes... Um, in my other life, I oftentimes 
meet with people who are going through addiction or struggles or, or whatever the case may be, and they say, well, you know what? I think if I just fix this part of my life, I can keep living my life without that problem or addiction or whatever, right? And it doesn't work. It does not work. What they have to come to realize is you need a clean slate on those things. You need new friends. You need new surroundings. You you need to build yourself back up in this anchor before you can sustain the waves and the winds. And what that requires is us to surround ourselves with people who pursue God, with people who are like-minded, people who share that same hope that we want to share with them in. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. Now, there's a distinction to be made here because he says, I am a companion too, right? So a companion would be someone who you're really linked with, someone who you're joined with. Your spouse would be your companion, right? Your, your dear friends would be your companions. That doesn't mean we separate ourselves altogether from people who don't have this, but we don't companion ourselves with them. I don't think that's a verb, but I just made it one. So we are, we are going to link ourselves to bind ourselves with people who are like-minded, but we still have to understand we're still in this world, not necessarily of it, but we're still in it. We have interaction with people who are not like-minded, and that is why we've got to turn to this anchor and have this anchor of our lives. He wraps up this stanza with, the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. That line, teach me your statutes, um, I wish I would have done some, some background research, but it appears in this whole chapter 119 a bunch of times. Teach me your statutes. That's one of those lines that gets repeated over and over and over and over. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. Now, I, I know I've talked about this a little already, but when he's saying, teach me your statutes, that doesn't mean we need to open up our Bible and memorize the list of rules. That's not what that is. Teach me your statutes. God, teach me your instruction on how you want me to live. Teach me your way, God. Teach me how to live. And, and what did Jesus tell us that looks like? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. God, teach me how to do that. Teach me how to live that way. That's what he repeats over and over in this. Teach me how to live the right way. Uh, we're going to move on to the third stanza here. And I know I'm going through these things kind of quick. I'm not spending a lot of time, but we're going we're gonna to spend a little more time after I get through the three of these talking about their application to us. Uh, Tate, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Hang on to that piece where he says, you have dealt well with your servant. That's important. We're going to come back to that. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. Again, more, more teaching me. For I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I'm in uh, verse 67 here. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. So, so go back to that. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Sometimes that, that timing confuses us a little bit there. But what he's saying here is before I was So what's afflicted mean? Afflicted would mean when you're enduring pain, when you're enduring suffering, when you're enduring something hard, something difficult. That's the affliction. It might be something you brought on yourself. It might be something someone else has done to you or just some, something you're just going through, but it hurts. Affliction hurts, right? Before I was afflicted, 
I went astray. That's referencing being lost, being astray. I wasn't where I was supposed to be. I wasn't in your word, God. I wasn't in the path you've created for me. I was somewhere else. I was astray. Then I was afflicted. After the astray part, I became afflicted. Now, again, that's really important. We're going to talk about that in more depth here in a little bit. So two things we're going to come back to. Number one is you have dealt with your servant well. You've, you've handled me pretty, pretty good. You, you've done well handling me, God. And the, the same me that was astray then became afflicted. So hang on to that. We'll get back to that. Verse 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent, the proud, the arrogant, smear me with lies. But with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. So now we've got a little bit different problem for him now. Now it's, now it's not just the ensnares. Now it's not just they're mocking me. Now it's they smear me with lies. Now they're, they're saying things that are untrue about me. They're telling lies about me. Same things about who I am that's not who I am. Going through more turbulence here. But my whole heart, I keep your precepts. With my whole heart, I keep your precepts. I keep my heart's focus on what you have for me, God. Their heart, the insolent, the proud, the arrogant, the wicked, their heart is unfeeling like fat. but I delight in your law. You ever look at people and say, how do you, how do you sleep at night? How, do you, how, how are you okay with that? How are you okay with living like that? How can that not rip you up? Because it rips me up sometimes when I, when I make a bad decision or mistreat somebody. And I think to myself, how do you just are okay with doing that over and over and over? Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. So we are emotional people. God has designed us with emotion. God has designed us to react, to, to be stirred up, and that's okay. And look at, look, at, look at the way King David would get stirred up. That guy would get stirred up. It's okay for us to get stirred up and emotional, but where do we direct that? Where do we direct that? I delight in your law. It is good for me. Okay, this is where we're coming back. Verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Okay, I'm going to spend just a couple minutes on this. It is good for me that I was afflicted. Oftentimes, in our lives, we're going through something messy. We're going through something painful. We're going through a hardship. That's what this guy was going through. Something that really wrung him out. And what he's saying here, and if you go back to the beginning of this, you have dealt well with your servant. God, what, what you have put in my life, what you have gotten me through when I was astray, and then the pain I endured, God, you did good. You are good, and you do good. And I recognize now, God, that what you've done in my life was painful, felt bad at the time, but was good because 
I learned your statutes. I learned your ways. So when he says in verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. It's through these tribulations that we become stronger. It's through these tribulations that we draw near to his path for us. That we, we thought we were doing great. We might have thought we were right online. I'm right where you want me, God. And then we go through a tribulation or a trial or, or, or something in our lives that, realize, that, we, that we can realize then, actually, I should probably be over here, not over there. And, and we can make adjustments in our lives. And sometimes it's a subtle adjustment. Sometimes it's a major adjustment. Sometimes we've been thinking all along, I'm walking right where God wants me to be because I go to church, I'm reading the Bible, I, I'm leading a Bible study, I'm doing all these things. But then we can go through a pain in our life that says, you are doing all those things for yourself. You are on your own path. You were, you were doing it to look like you were doing it. You weren't really doing it. You were a little off or whatever. And, and it's through that affliction we can say, okay, I thought I was on the right path. I need to turn my feet towards your testimonies. This is a hard thing to live out, to know that Look, it's easy for us when, when things are going great, when we see our kids growing up, when we, we've got food on the table, we just got a promotion at job and say, I am blessed. Well, you're right, you are. You are blessed in that. And then when our kids go off the rails and we lose our job and we can't make the car payment and, and everything's falling apart around us, how many of us say, I am blessed, right? But you are, you are I promise you, you are. It's harder to see in that instance, but it's there. You are blessed. You are blessed because God has chosen to put you through this for a reason. And that reason is not to beat you up. That reason is to grow you and to love you and to change you towards his will. Or maybe to change someone around you. Sometimes we're going to go through affliction and it has impact on us, but it also has impact on the people around us. Can't lose sight of that. <clears throat> the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Everybody in this room knows the right answer to the question of what's more valuable, right? Things on this earth that you collect or God's word in your life. We can all be intellectually smart enough to say, yeah, we're in church, so we say God's word in our lives, right? But how do we live that out? How are we living that out? Where is our focus? What are we looking to to sustain us, to satisfy us, to make us feel like we are where we need to be? Oftentimes, our attention goes to the gold and silver, to the things of this world. But we've got to recapture our attention to the law of God's mouth. I want to close here with a few things. Um, if I were to sum up, if I were to sum up the entire book of, or entire chapter of Psalm 119, it would be this. Do things God's way and you'll be okay, right? But that's a little bit of an oversimplification there. But it's still true. The reality here is what he's saying is God has a plan for you and you need to follow that plan. What is that? What does that sound like? That's obedience, that's obedience. So I want to close out talking a little bit about obedience and what that looks like. There are, there are three points I want to make about obedience, all right? And, 
and maybe I didn't make this point well enough, the theme here in someone, this author is saying, God, I obey you. I don't do it because uh, you're forcing me to do it. I, I do it because I know that you are good and you love me and your way is good. And therefore, therefore, I'm going to obey. I'm going to follow the path you laid out for me. All right? But that's not easy. All right, obedience. The first thing, our obedience is not dependent upon the instruction making sense to us. Okay? Our obedience to God's word does not require us understanding why God is having us do it this way. Hallelujah. So much, and, and, and this, is, this is one of the hardest things about parenting for me. You, you know, I, I, tell, I don't know how you guys, what your kids are like, but if you ever have a kid that's just smarter than you, it makes life really hard, all right? And, and so my oldest, Braylon, and, and she's not in here to stop me from saying this. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. She is, she is exceptionally smart, but she's exceptionally logic-driven also. And so when she was little and we gave her an instruction to do something, it was, once you convince me why I'm doing that, then I'll go ahead and obey you. Then I'll do it, right? And when I say when she was little, I mean yesterday. So, <laughs> and, and, I, and I joke, but that's, that's our lives, right? That's oftentimes our hearts in all things that we do. Once I understand, once it makes sense to me why I would do it that way, then I'll go ahead and do it that way. That's not what God calls us to. It did not make any sense to Gideon when God said, all right, let's, let's remove, let's remove your, some of your army. But in fact, let's remove most all of your army, and you go fight this battle with just a few guys. It didn't make sense to Gideon, but he did it. It did not make sense to, to uh, the nation of Israel when God said, hey, look, I know you guys have a powerful army, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to just start walking around this town for a bunch of days. Don't say anything. Don't pound on the wall. Don't try to break down the wall. Just start walking in circles. That does not sound like a really powerful battle plan. Just start walking in circles. I promise you, you'll win, right? That doesn't make sense. That didn't make sense to them, but they did it, and there was blessing in it. It worked, right? It didn't make sense. I mean, the whole... The whole time Jesus' disciples were walking around with him on earth, right, it didn't make sense. It, it, it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. And the closer they got to the end of Jesus' life on earth, the less sense it was making to them. Like, when are we going to see the army rise up and just destroy our enemies? When are we going to see this? But you didn't see them say, out loud anyway, you know what, Jesus, this isn't really working out. We're going to come up with a plan B. Me and James and John and Peter, we, we, I think we got a better plan, one that makes more sense to us. That didn't happen. I'm sure they were thinking it at times, right? Oftentimes thinking it. I'm thinking it all the time. Like, God, I, I don't know why you got me in, this, in these crosshairs or in this path. Or, this doesn't make sense to me. Why would you have done this, Lord? It doesn't make sense, God. It doesn't have to make sense to me, though. And it's okay to question that. It's okay to wonder that. It's okay to be frustrated in that sometimes. But we've got to come back to the, that, what we saw here. Verse 68, you are good and do good. We've got to remind ourselves of that, even when it doesn't make sense to us. So obedience is not dependent upon the instruction making sense to us. The second point I want to make in closing here is obedience will likely come at a cost. 
Our obedience will likely come at a cost. For some, that cost is significant. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. And, and he's, he's talking to those who would follow him. You follow me, you're going to have trouble. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their obedience got them tossed in a fiery furnace. Not ideal. You will experience what the author of Psalm 119 experienced. Taunts, mocking, entrapment, temptation, being ridiculed. But in all that, God is good. You will endure pain like you can't believe. Some people endure the end of their life, right? There's a cost to obedience. But we've got to keep our eyes on the promises of God's word, not the gold and silver. Keep your eyes on the things unseen, not the things seen, to endure the cost. The third thing, the third thing I want to talk about with obedience is obedience always carries blessing. Obedience always carries blessing. Now, sometimes it's hard to see that. John the Baptist, Stephen, the disciples, even more recently, Jim Elliot. But, but there's thousands of martyrs, thousands of people who said, I'm going to follow God no matter the cost, and it cost them their lives. It cost them their earthly life here in this world. That doesn't mean there wasn't blessing. That means we can't see the blessing. If you're obeying God in pursuit of a blessing that you might get to receive here, you're not pursuing God. You're pursuing your own ambition. We don't get to measure the blessing. We don't get to measure what it looks like or or sometimes ever experience it in this life, but the blessing is there. There's always blessing. 2 Corinthians 4.17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light momentary affliction. This life we're in, man, it feels like more than a momentary affliction sometimes, right? Sometimes it feels like this is, the weight of this, the weight I am feeling in this pain is more than I can bear. It's a light momentary affliction compared to the glory in store for us. That's where, the, that's where we get to see the blessing for sure. Now, do we see blessing here? Absolutely we do. Absolutely we get to see and experience blessing here in this life. But it's not the ultimate. It's just a small taste, a small flavor of what God has in store for us. The best example I could think of in illustrating this idea of obedience is Job's life. So now Job wasn't specifically called or instructed to a particular a mission like Jonah or, or, or something like that. But what God said about him is he feared God and he did things the right way. That, that's living an obedient life. When God is your beacon, you, you, you focus on that and pursue that. That is a life of obedience. And that was Job's life. Job was a blessed man on earth. He was one of those guys that said, I am blessed. And he, he in fact, was, right? Um, And what Job came to realize is he lost his kids, lost his cattle, lost his health, lost his sanity just about, just lost everything. And he struggled through that. And it didn't make sense to him. It didn't make sense to him, didn't make sense to his wife, didn't make sense to his friends. None of it added up. None of it made sense. But he stuck with it. He stuck with it. It wasn't easy. He teetered, right? But he kept his focus on God. And in the end... In the end, even when he was without anything, he still said to God, you're God, and I'm a blessed man. 
I'm a blessed man. And then God restored him on earth with the good things. He got to experience that blessing on earth. But I imagine, and I'm confident of this, that the blessing Job is experiencing in eternity is far greater than what he could have experienced on earth. And that's because he endured keeping his eyes on God and what God provides for him. Job found his anchor in God. So here's, here's what I want to wrap up with. You all have in your lives stormy weather. It looks different for some of you than others. But we're going through storms. We all have God's love, God's word, God's path available to us. And as we start going through the stormy weathers, stormy weathers, the stormy weather, where is our focus? What are we anchoring to? This writer of Psalm 119, his affliction was the mistreatment of people around him. People around him were, were, were harsh on him, probably because of his faith. But some of us, our affliction is loneliness or addiction, a difficult marriage. Maybe our affliction is our kids are being difficult. Job loss, persecution, personal loss, our health. The list could go on and on, and I'm sure it does. I don't know how many people are in here and how many people are listening online, but however many people there are, that's about any different things that go on this list, right? Because we've all got our own affliction, our own difficulty, our own uh, wind trying to knock us out to sea. All these things are not insignificant. In fact, all these afflictions we experience are likely life-altering. They will change things. But that doesn't mean they will toss us out to sea and detach us from our God. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it hurts, God's got you. God's got you. Do things God's way and you'll be okay. I know that's easier said than done. You've got to pursue God. You can't just say, okay, well, if I show up at church, God's word will soak into me and I'll be better. You've got to pursue it. You've got to entreat God's word to come to your life. The hardest thing for me, the hardest thing for me is to go through these things and, and, and not have it make sense. The hardest thing for me is to go through these things and not have it make sense. But God is good. God has a beautiful story in store for you and for the people in the lives around you. Not a painless story, not one that's easy, but a beautiful one. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for loving us and um, giving us your word and for giving us this psalmist who would, who would share just the, the powerful affection he had for your ways, God. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, just bless our own lives with that same kind of affection for pursuing what you have in store for us, that we might draw near to you through our pursuit of you, because we know you're pursuing us, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would bless our lives as we uh, leave here today, that, that you would stir in us a desire to um, pursue you more, and to, to draw near to you, God. Touch the lives of those who are hurting, those who are going through affliction. Give them the hope that you gave this psalmist. Give them the, um, 
Give them the understanding that you are good and you do good, God, even when it hurts and even when it doesn't make sense. In your name we pray, Lord.